0: Excited to open God's Word. Why don't you grab your Bible? Let's go to Acts chapter two. Go ahead and head to Acts chapter two this morning. We are in uh, week five of this series we're calling the Disciples' Journey. Disciples' Journey, where we are discovering what are the marks in the life of a disciple that is devoted to Jesus, living on the mission of Christ, and what does it look like to be a disciple here at New Beginnings? What is it we're trying to become? We're trying to become a disciple, and we've said there are five markers that we're going to see in the life of a disciple of Jesus. And so we're working our way through those. We're going to look at the fourth of those five today, but I want to just very quickly remind you what they are. At New Beginnings, we want to be eyes up, knees down, Bible open, plugged in, sent out disciples. We want to be eyes up. We We want to have a spiritual kingdom focus. We want to be focused on the kingdom of God, his will, his glory, his agenda, his mission, the priority of our life. Eyes up on the kingdom. And we want to be knees down, people devoted to prayer, people who realize apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, we are hopeless. We are hopeless without him. So we want to get on our knees and be a people of prayer. We wanna live with our Bibles open, right? We wanna be people that are biblically grounded, biblically literate people of the word, so that when we hold and view God's word, we recognize it as the truth and the authority over all of our lives. And today we're looking at this fourth posture, and that is the posture of being plugged in, relationally invested. Plugged in, relationally invested. Here's what that means for us. It means that we are connected to a body. We're connected to a local body, a church, where we are relationally investing in others and being invested in by others. That's what we mean by that. We mean we are connected to a people, to a body, where we are relationally investing in others and others are investing in us so that... Church for us is not a building where we go, it's not a place we attend. Church, the body of Christ, it's a people where we belong. We belong to those people, and they belong to us. This is a place where we live out the mission, where we've recognized the children of God have been given this place, this this people, so that they might spiritually mature together, uh, rejoice in the grace of God together, and live on the mission of God together. And so that's the way we, when we say plugged in, relationally invested, we know that for us, that means we are participants in the life of the church and in the mission of the church. You know, God has given us a mission. Read Matthew 28. You know what you find out? The mission ain't easy. It's a big one, right? Go into all the world. That means all of it. And 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 make disciples of all nations and baptize them and teach them what I have taught you. That's an enormous, mission not one that any individual can do on their own and so we have to be plugged in relationally invested in one another in order to do this mission Uh, I've I've talked for the last couple weeks about a trip that pastor Todd and I went on to New York and had the opportunity to go up and spend some time I don't know if you've had a chance to be up there since 9-11 but they have a uh, 9-11 memorial that's there has anybody had the chance to see that 9-11 memorial wow a lot of you okay it is deeply moving. It is, it is deeply impactful. Uh, you, you go and they have this uh, outside area where there's these uh, uh, big square holes in the ground that were the base of the towers. And now they are these kind of beautiful waterfall feature things. And, and around them, they have engraved the names of, of everyone who, who died there. Um, and you go to that memorial. You go into the 9-11 Museum. And it is, I'm telling you, it's deeply moving. Immediately, you go into that place and you are right back. I mean, I was instantly right back where I was when I turned the TV on and saw Tower One smoking. I was um, immediately, I was like, what is, right? I was immediately there feeling all those feelings and remembering those sights and sounds and um everything that was going on and, and uh, uh, I, I, you learn about those things. You hear things like voicemails that family members were calling and leaving their relatives to say, I don't, this doesn't look good. And um, you know, it's very, very heavy. It's a very deep weight to it. And you learn about flights, uh, I believe it was 77 that went into the Pentagon and flight 93 that landed out in the field in, in Pennsylvania. And what you discover is you hear these stories and you see those names, is that these were people from all different areas. They were from all different walks of life, and and they were completely disconnected. They didn't really know one another. They probably worked in different departments, had completely different skill sets, had their own families, their own lives, dreaming their own dreams for their children, and, and all of these things. But the moment those planes hit, in that moment, they were grafted into a mission together. Instantly, they were grafted into a mission. They really were. In the towers, the mission became, I may not know you, we may work in different departments, but you and I have a mission of getting each other out of this building. And they began this mission. You hear the stories of Flight 93, and they blow your mind that word had gotten to that plane that planes had been... Hijacked, And all of a sudden, the passengers in that plane goes, this one's not going to hit a building. And they storm the cockpit and force it to land and sacrifice. Right? It's like unbelievable. They didn't know one another. And all of a sudden, there's this mission that they share in together. And, and they begin to do things that they could not do on their own. And I've, as I thought about that and I've sat with that, I've remembered the mission we have is not one we can do on our own. We are called to a mission we are called to be a part of the mission and the mission is given to a church it's given to a people and we have to be plugged in and relationally invested with one another to do this mission and here's why from the very beginning here's what we see from the very beginning god has been about a people not just individuals he's been about a people not just individuals what do i mean by that well think about adam god made adam and what was one of the first things he said about adam this fool don't need to be alone <laughs> it is not good and guys aren't you glad that the lord said it is not good that man should be alone because he was right (laughs) right this is the first thing he said (laughs) he immediately made community he immediately went this this one is not He needs someone. They need one another. So he makes Eve and he forms the family. He forms community. And you take that right to the command where he looks at Adam and Eve and he says, what? Go be fruitful and multiply. I'm about a people. Take that to the promise he gave to Abraham. The promise he gave to Abraham, he gave to a person. But what was it about? A nation. He said, I'm going to make a nation of people for myself. They're going to be mine. They're going to call me God. I'm going to call them my people. It's going to bless the world. To the, to the Mosaic promise, where he said, I have established this people. I'm going to give them a land, and they're going to be mine forever. Take it to the new covenant, in Christ, that was given to us. And now we have the church. And here's what you see. God has always desired for his people to be plugged in and connected to his covenant community. It's been the desire from the beginning. So, we see this in Acts chapter 1 and 2, where we're going to be today. In Acts chapter 1, you see the dawn of the New Testament church. You see the birth of what we have today. This this thing being born, coming into existence. Here's what you see in Acts chapter 2. you got 120 disciples in the upper room. They're just up there. They're praying. They're waiting. They're being obedient to Jesus. Jesus said, you're to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come. And then when the Holy Spirit comes, then you will go and be my disciples. He said, but you are to wait. So here they are in the upper room, all they know to do is obey Jesus. They're praying, they're waiting. They're literally in this upper room with their eyes up, their knees down, and their Bibles open. They're literally in this upper room going, we have eyes for the kingdom. Jesus said you were bringing, you said you were bringing the kingdom. We wanna see the kingdom. So we're kingdom focused, knees down in prayer, spiritually dependent, waiting on the Holy Spirit to fall. They've got their Bibles open in the sense that they are saying, we believe every word that was said about this Messiah is true. We believe every word he said is true, and we are waiting on him to fall. And it's in that posture of being eyes up, knees down, Bible open, that God's power falls on them. He just pours out. The Holy Spirit falls and saves 3,000 people in that moment. And the church is born. The church is born. And in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, we get the first description of the church of Jesus. We get the first biblical description of what they were and what we must become. What should this church be? See it right here in Acts chapter 2. So we're going to pick it up in verse 42. If you found that spot, let me hear you say the Bible is true. Bible is true. Amen. So 3,000 are saved, verse 42. And they do, what did these 3,000 do? And they devoted themselves praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The moment that people got, what, what you see here is the result of God's saving work. Right? People trust in Jesus, their sins are forgiven, they're filled with the spirit and what happens? They gather together. It's the next step they take. It's interesting that that Luke doesn't describe a season of, well, they kind of thought that the the body in the church was okay, and maybe they, no. The moment they were saved, they went, all you other people that were saved, y'all are now my people. I belong to you, you belong to me. We are bound together. They were immediately, it says in verse 42, look at that first description, and they devoted themselves. (laughs) That word devoted, incredibly important. Here's what it means. It means that they were steadfast steadfastly committed another translation says that they were continually adhering like you ever had something so sticky on you you just couldn't get it off right it was that's that's what that word can mean that devoted means they were steadfastly just sticking to one another they were devoted to each other and here's why this matters this matters because this devotion is what characterizes a church where the Spirit of God is ruling and reigning and moving. They are devoted to one another. You see it in verse 47 where it says, And day by day, those who were being saved were added to the number. Immediately, those who got saved were plugged into the local church. Why? Because when God saves people, He forms a community. That's what He does. He draws them to a community. The saving work of the gospel, the saving work of Jesus in us produces a dynamic community. It uniquely binds us together because those who have shared in the gospel together begin to share in the everyday stuff of life together. Are you with me? Have you ever been in a situation where you were the only believer I don't know if you've ever had the, it's been in a moment and you looked around and go, oh, none of these people love Jesus. This is very lonely, right? You ever been in that situation? You ever been in a situation where another believer entered and all of a sudden you went? You just felt drawn to them. just felt bound to them. Because you had, you're like, this is my, brother, this is my sister in Christ. There is something we've shared in the gospel. And now we share this. Together, And that's what you see. God forms this community where those who have the shared story of Jesus. Jesus did this work in their life. They begin to share in the everyday stuff of life together. What you will not find in the New Testament is an individual rugged Christianity does not exist. It's not there. It's just not there. You don't find the one believer who figured it out on their own, thrived on their own, loved Jesus on their own, learned how to have power over sin, walk in righteousness, be devoted, be a kingdom citizen, obey and treasure the word of God. You do not find one believer who did that on their own. It didn't happen. They were drawn together. This is why we gather so frequently why do, we, why do we value life in the community? Why, do we devote our, why are we so devoted to one another that we realign our calendars and our priorities and our, our rhythms and our schedules to meet together? Because God created this thing and he called us to the community. And the sharing of our lives together, of our everyday lives with one another, is the expression of the spiritual life we share in Christ. So we're going to spend time this morning looking at what does it mean to be devoted, to be plugged in relationally, invested. What does that look like, right? So these disciples were devoted. That's the word Luke chose to use as he is how am I going to describe these 3000 believers who didn't know, know one, they didn't know one another yesterday. Now here they are, there's a church. How do I describe what they are becoming? They're devoted. So they were devoted, but what were they devoted to? That's what I want to unpack for a few minutes. So let's look at these verses starting in verse 42. They were together, they were devoted to the preaching and teaching of God's word. Together they were devoted to the preaching and teaching of God's word. Luke says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What does that mean? It means they were a Bible-open people. They treasured the the truth of God's word. They they devoted themselves to it being preached and taught. They pursued that. They were devoted to sound doctrine and biblical teaching. You see this throughout the New Testament. The warnings Jesus actually began this warning back in Matthew 7 when he said you need to look out for wolves in sheep's clothing. And this is why you see the warnings throughout the letters from Paul that says, watch out for false teachers, those who come with a different doctrine and a different gospel. Why? Because we're to value sound doctrine. We're to value the teaching and the preaching of God's word. And so I want you to hear me, believer. This is more than just being in a Bible study. That's great. It's important. And you should. You should study the word of God. Amen? And doing it in community with a group of people, incredibly important. But if it terminates there, we've missed it. This is about being with a people and belonging to a people where you have the opportunity and the accountability to now live out the word. That's what they were devoted to. They were devoted not just to hearing it, not just to talking about it, but then to holding each other accountable to walking and living it out. So they were devoted to the preaching and teaching of god's word then they were devoted here's the next thing we see to sharing life with one another sharing life with one another it says um, that they were devoted to the fellowship the fellowship very interesting word it's a word we've talked about before uh, here it's the greek word koinonia koinonia is a word that means community or fellowship now you may not be uh, Southern Baptist you're in a Baptist church right now and fellowship means something to us right we are uber good at it and so uh when when I say fellowship what comes to mind your dadgum right food came to mind right so y'all have heard me say it's my favorite thing to say I'm so Baptist you cut me I bleed covered dish casserole all right that's what it is that's just how it works, all right? That's how, matter of fact, the churches I grew up in and have served in, we were so committed to fellowship, we had an entire wing of our building, and what did we call it? The what? How many of you grew up with a fellowship hall? A whole wing of the building given to one thing, eating, drinking coffee, men's breakfast, stale cookies, terrible Kool-Aid, we were devoted to it, man, <laughs> right? This, this fellowship, and it was a verb for us, it's a thing that we did, and when we when, th- when we think of fellowship that's how we think of it but it, what's interesting here is when Luke, the, which by the way the verb form of koinonia shows up throughout the new testament but here he didn't use it as a verb here he used it as a noun why does that matter you go Matt why are you telling me that because i want you to understand when he says they were devoted to the fellowship he wasn't saying they he wasn't trying to describe what to describe what they did he was describing who they were It wasn't an activity they participated in. It's what defined them as a people. Are you with me? Do you see the difference between that? And uh, Luke here in Acts said they were devoted to koinonia, to community, to fellowship, to sharing their life, and this marked them. And I want you to hear me. There is simply no way for you to have koinonia alone. You can't do it. It requires the body. It requires them. So they were marked by the preaching of God's Word, sharing their life with one another, and they were marked by remembering and celebrating the gospel. It says that they were devoted to the breaking of bread. This is not just a reference that they sat down and ate together. It's, it's primarily a reference to the Lord's Supper, to, to, to the remembering of the body and the blood of Jesus. Now, why take time to remember this? Because... They were being taught how to be disciples by the very disciples who sat in the upper room with Jesus when he said, every time you take this bread, every time you drink this cup, you remember what I'm gonna do on the cross. You do this in remembrance of me. And so when they gathered together and they broke bread, they remembered the broken body and the shed blood of Christ. Why was it so important? Because it was a reminder for these new believers it was a reminder for this new church. It's a reminder for us of the greatest reality in the universe. That Jesus loved us and he died for us. And he forgave us of our sins so that we might be reconciled to God and belong to the king of the kingdom. And in belonging to him, belonging to one another. It was a treasure that they needed to be reminded of. So they broke bread together. And here's the last thing we see. They um, Together they were devoted to gathering corporately to pray. Gathering corporately to pray. It says then they were devoted to the prayers. When Acts says they were devoted to the prayers, it's not talking about a set list of words that they would utter. It's actually talking about a set of times that they would gather and that they would pray corporately together. That's what that's talking about, right? Whenever... They would gather, prayer was there. And they had set times where they would come together and they would pray corporately. You see that throughout the book. You read the book of Acts. And what you discover is almost every time that God did something awesome, whether it was freeing Peter from prison when he had no business getting out, causing a prison walls to fall, whatever it was, this breakout of revival, it was preceded by the church in prayer. In Acts chapter 4, the church is praying that Peter would be released. Do you know what happened? He just showed up at the door. Knocked on the door and they went, What are you doing here? Uh, Right? They couldn't believe that God answered the prayer. It was preceded by God's people praying. And here's what I would say to you, New Beginnings, whenever, wherever, and however the church gathers, whether it is in a large number or in a home, wherever it is, Prayer must be woven into the fabric of who we are. It ought to be able to to be the banner flying over us that we are a people of prayer and it is essential to the life of the church. So these are the things we see they were devoted to. The preaching and teaching of the word, uh, sharing life with one another, remembering the gospel, celebrating the gospel, and gathering corporately together to pray. This is what we see in a New Testament church when they were plugged into one another and relationally invested. And these areas of devotion speak largely into why we do the things we do here at New Beginnings. We gather every week to hear the preaching of God's word. We do life together. We take the Lord's supper. We set aside time every week to corporately pray. Why? Because it is what we see not only in the description of the New Testament church. We see it prescribed by God's word for this church. This is what we will be devoted to. It is both descriptive and prescriptive. Does that make sense? So this is what we see. Now, I want to answer the questions. Okay, so if that's what they're devoted to, what was the outcome of their devotion? What was the outcome of them being devoted to these things. What happens in a church when they have eyes up, knees down, Bibles open, and they are plugged in this way? Here's what I want you to I want you to see the fruit of what happened. Because of their devotion, God's presence was experienced. Look at verse 43. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. I love that word, and awe came upon every soul. That word "all" just means holy, reverent, amazement. <laughs> That's what it means. When's the last time you saw God move in a way that you had a holy amazement of it? That's what they felt. They felt this, I can't believe. Well, can you believe what God is doing? There was this awe. There was God's presence was experienced, this feeling of awe. It was an awareness of God working in their midst. God's presence was real among them, and they knew it. They knew it. And there, that, this, this awareness of the presence of God and this experience of the presence of God, it produced this deep sense of reverence and gravity for them in the church. They knew they were seeing something supernatural. So that was one of the outwards. They were devoted to these things, and because of that, God's presence was experienced. Here's another thing we see. Because of their devotion, authentic love and unity was enjoyed. Because of their devotion, authentic love and unity was enjoyed. Look at verse 44, 45. And all who believed were together. They were together. And they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. There was this unity and this love that sprang up among these people. And I think it's important to remember this unity and love was not something that was happening before they were a church. It's important to remember, in this season when this happened, we're only days out of the Passover season. Jerusalem is filled with visitors, it's filled with people who have flooded in for the Passover. They don't know each other. 3,000 of them are, are saved, and now yesterday they didn't know each other, and today they love each other. That's the supernatural work of God. It's the outflowing of a devotion that they shared. There was this authentic love and this unity. They cared about one another. They were devoted to each other. Suddenly they cared about someone they didn't even know, providing for one another. And there was this understanding that what they share together in Christ directly speaks to how they share together in everyday life. It was this authentic love and unity. And listen, unity will always be found where God's presence is. And God's presence is drawn to unity. Psalm, I think it's Psalm 133 that says unity in the brothers is like oil running down the beard of Aaron, down on the collar of his robes. It's this picture of the anointing of God when we dwell together in unity. Unity is something we take very seriously here. at New- We're fiercely defending the unity in this place. Why? Because it's an evidence of the presence of God. I believe his presence is drawn when we dwell together in unity. Now, does that mean we always agree? Nope. Believe it or not, there's somebody in this room who didn't vote the way you voted. You know what I mean? How do we dwell together in unity? We simply look at what Christ did for us, recognize Christ did it for my brother sitting beside me, and go, you and I are bound in a way that is bigger than any politic, any sports team, any neighborhood, or any socio-economic identifying marker that culture puts on us. We are together in this thing. And I can love you. And I need you to love me. There's a love and a unity that was there. Here's another thing. Because of their devotion, there was a genuine gratitude and worship was expressed. Verse 46 says, they they received their food with glad and generous hearts. I love those two words. Glad and generous. Verse 47, praising God, having favor with all the people. There was a joy there there was a gratitude there, worship was real among them. I, there was a gladness among them. I want you to hear me say this: this New Testament church would not have recognized a grouchy closed-handed unhappy believer. They just wouldn't have, they wouldn't have known what to do with you right? You would have stood out like a a grouchy unhappy, frown on my face, not able to smile, not gonna sing, not gonna engage, closed-handed, ungener- they just wouldn't have known any, they would, you wouldn't have fit in. Why? Because they were so undone by what Christ had done for them. The generosity of Jesus toward them pried their hands open. And they said, if Jesus is this generous, what business do I have letting my brother go without what he needs? And it, they were glad to do. It, was, it filled them up with joy to live generously and open-handed. So the presence of God was experienced, this authentic love. Unity was there. There was a gratitude and a worship being expressed. And here's the last thing. People were connected to Jesus, and new believers were engrafted. People were connected to Jesus, and new believers were engrafted. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. What that means is it wasn't just the apostles sharing the gospel. These 3,000 people got saved, and all they knew how to do is go tell the people they loved that they found something. And you need to come see this something. You need to come meet this Jesus that has saved us. People were connected to the body. They lived on mission and people were saved. So they were devoted to those things. Prayer, the preaching of God's word, sharing their life. What was the fruit of that? The presence of God. Unity in the body. Love and worship and people getting saved. And I want you to hear me, New Beginnings this should be the norm for the church when the church is a body of spirit-filled disciples who are plugged in and relationally invested this is the norm because it's easy to read that and go man that's some sort of utopian thing that's unrealistic that's not real and yet it is real it happened in this church there's evidence of it in where we stand right now but this should describe us this should be the norm For a church that is filled with spirit-filled disciples who are plugged in, and this is the type of church that we want to become. If you're a guest with us today, again, thanks for being here. You want to know what New Beginnings is about? We want to be a place where the presence of God is experienced, where it is real and nobody can deny it. We want to be a place where we share our lives together, where there's authentic love and worship, and we want to be a place where those who are lost find life in Christ. If you want to know who we are, that's who we are. That's all we want. So the question is, what does it look like for us to become that? What's the strategy, for lack of a better word, for us to become that kind of people that are devoted, seeing God move in this way? Well, one of the things we see in the New Testament, we see really three primary gatherings that the New Testament church had and we want to model that. We've tried to model that in how we meet together. And you see this modeled not only in the book of Acts, but you see it modeled in early uh, church history. And so I wanna walk you through this for a moment with using a diagram of a triangle. So I'm going to put a triangle up for just a moment. And what I want you to do, we're going to walk through the points of the triangle to give you an understanding of how it is that we model and, and the strategy we have for being connected to one another and plugged in together. The first thing that we together, the first thing that we know is that the church gathered weekly. They gathered weekly. You see this in the book of Acts, but you see it in church history. As a matter of fact, Acts 2.46, we read a minute ago, describes them as gathering in the temple courts well church history gives us some details into what this looks like in ad 155 which would have been about uh 70 years to 80 years after acts was written so within one generation of the book of acts being written uh the uh, one of uh, early believers name was justin martyr he wrote what is called his first apology he's describing what the worship of the church is like now just keep in mind this is very close to the book of acts only about 60 years difference. And here's what he writes. And on the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gather together in one place. And the memoirs of the apostles and, or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. Then when the reader has ceased, the president verbally instructs, which by the way, I think that is the pastor. But if y'all want to call me president, you know, whatever, uh, whatever works. You know, no, don't do that. The president verbally instructs and exhorts uh, to the imitation of these good things. So there's the teaching of the word, right? And then we all rise together and pray. There's a partaking in the Lord's Supper. But Sunday is the day on which we all hold our common assembly. Because it is the first day on which God, having wrought a change in the darkness and matter, made the world. And Jesus Christ, our Savior, on the same day rose from the dead. We gather weekly and we do it on Sunday, and there ought to be something uniquely satisfying and joy-giving when you think all the way back to AD 100, I am connected to those believers. When I get up and I come to church on a Sunday and I connect my life, this is what we've been doing for 2,000 years. We gather weekly in this room to worship, to hear the preaching and teaching of God's word, to remember and celebrate the gospel. We gather weekly. It's important. It's, a, it's, it's an important part of how new beginnings becomes devoted to one another plugged in. Here's the second thing. Not only do we do that, we do it with what we call connection time. We see this in the New Testament. This connection time, it says day by day they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Breaking bread in their homes, which means what? They met in small groups. This is what they did. I promise you, they went from 120, you can get 120 in a room. The next day when they were 3,000, there wasn't a building big enough for them, right? They were just standing outside going, what are we going to do? And so they started going into homes. They started getting into small groups where they could be known, where they could be encouraged, where they could be prayed for, share needs, meet needs, grow spiritually. And one of the things we want to do is provide like a home environment right? We call it life group. This is a life group. This is where we kind of get out of the big room and we get into a smaller group of people. Sometimes it's at 15 to 20, 25 people. and We get into that room and we are known. We open up. We share our life. We share our needs. Needs are met. We grow spiritually. We talk about God's word. We have life groups that actually meet in homes. And so I want you to hear me say, Walking into this room on a Sunday morning is great. It's great. A critical part of your spiritual maturing is getting out of this room grafted into a people who know who you are. You've opened the door to let them in your life. Even the parts that you can hide from 200 of us. You've invited them in. And you've said, I need people to encourage me. I need to invest in people. I need to be known. I need to grow. I need those things. So I want to encourage you. This is a thing that Carrie and I discovered when we came to New Beginnings and we started visiting life groups. Um, It it was hard. And so if you're in that process, first of all, if you haven't gone to one, would you do that? You can sign up in the lobby today. There's a thing out there. You can get signed up for a life group, and Pastor Ben would love to help you make that connection. Here's what I would tell you, life groups, when you're getting out there, some of you know this, it's kinda like shoe shopping, right? You gotta put a few pair on before you go, oh, there it is, those are the ones that feel good, you know what I mean? There's, I found them, there's my people. And so, um, but but step out and do that. Now some of you um, are serve very faithfully here at New Beginnings, and you're in a season where you just believe God has called you to serve for extended amounts of time on a Sunday morning, and it makes it hard for you to get into a life group. If that's you, we have something we've created called serve groups. Serve groups are an opportunity for you to be connected to other people who are serving, where you get the value of life group, where you are encouraged, where somebody's helping you walk through the word, where you are prayed for, you are loved. And so if you're not in a life group, find that place. If God has you in a season of where you are just serving, serving, and getting into a life group is very difficult. I want you to ask Pastor Ben or your minister about serve group, but here's what I would tell you. Do not push away from this. They gathered, and they didn't stay 3,000. They went and got to each other's house, and they knew each other's name. So we gather weekly with connection time. Here's the third gathering I think we see, and that is that they had a corporate prayer rhythm had a corporate prayer rhythm. This is where they. it says they were devoted to the prayers. You see it throughout the New Testament that praying together in the room with one another was a regular rhythm for the local church. And I want you to notice for us, we're gonna see in a minute how this leads us into our mission, but this is the tip of the spear for us. If you think of that triangle as an arrowhead, corporate prayer, praying together, this is leading the way for new beginnings. And so I want you to hear me say this. If you're in a spot where you haven't come on a Wednesday night or you tried it once and kind of quit, hear me. You need to find, I am at, if you are a believer at, at new beginnings and you call this place home, I am asking you to own that right there. Own it. Say, I'm going to own that. It's evidenced in God's word. It needs to matter to me. I'm going to gather weekly, find my life group and pray with my people. You go, I can't be there every Wednesday night, pastor. Okay, when can you be here? Let me ask a more important question. What is prohibiting you from being here? And is it more important than gathering to pray with God's people? This is what we see prescribed in the church. So this is the way we get this done. And here's what I want to tell you. And I I feel this in my own heart because I know it to be true in my own spiritual journey. If you are doing one of these and neglecting the other two, you are not going to grow the way God has prescribed for his church to help you grow. If you're doing two of these and leaving out, you go, hey, man, I'm two out of three. That's not a bad, you know, you bat 600 in the majors, you're going to make a billion dollars. Not bad, right? If you're doing two and and leaving out, you are not going to grow the way God prescribed for his church to help you grow. And here's why this matters for us, because this is not the end game. You don't become the perfect person in this. This is the strategy that we see in God's word that begins to develop us because listen, we have a mission that we have to live on. There's a mission we're called to connect people to Jesus and his ever-restoring life where we live, work, and play and we don't get to that mission if we aren't being faithful in these things because in being faithful to these things, we become something. We become disciples who make disciples. In being faithful to this, we become disciples who make disciples. And then what we've discovered is not only are we being enriched and grown in the body, but we have confidence now and we're equipped to go live sent out on this mission. We can go and do this thing. If you call this place your spiritual home, by the way, if you want to take a picture of that, you can. If, uh, if any of you are interested in having that tattooed on your shoulder, let me know. We'll get it. I think it's really cool. No problem. I'm asking you to own it. Own it. And ask yourself, what prevents me from owning it? What prevents me from owning it? Gather weekly with connection time, corporate prayer rhythm, so that I can become a disciple who is making disciple and go live on this mission. So, to close this morning, just a few heart questions I want you to sit with. Luke is writing the book of Acts, and he is describing what the church is devoted to. That's what he's describing. He's saying, I see these new believers, and I'm writing down all the things they're devoted to. They're devoted to gathering and praying God's word and one another. If Luke were writing down our story, if Luke were to see your life as a believer, what would he write down that you were devoted to? Would he be able to say, I watched the life of Matt Darby and how he loved Jesus and he was devoted to gathering. He was devoted to sharing his life. He was devoted to prayer. He was a disciple, making disciple that lived on mission. If generations from now they were to read about your life, would Luke be able to say you were devoted to these things? Or would he have to say that you were devoted to something different? I want us to feel the weight of that because I need to feel the weight of that. I need to feel the weight of that. I want to tell you something, New Beginnings. I need you. I can't do this without you. And you cannot do this without me and without one another. What are you devoted to? The next thing I want to ask you. We've talked about this as a place where we belong. But that begins with belonging to Jesus. That begins with Jesus is my Lord and He is, I, am, I belong to him. And there's a moment in my life where I have made him Lord and Savior. And I have devoted my heart to him. Do you belong to Jesus? If you don't, church is just a place where you meet up with friends and try to feel a little bit better. If you do, tr- church becomes a place where Jesus can transform your life belong to him so in just a minute I'm going to pray we're going to be dismissed but Pastor Ben and I are going to be in this room we're going to be available if you need to know what it looks like to to get connected to a life group you can find him here in that hallway and say I need help with that if you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life you find a staff member or somebody that you trust and say I don't know that I belong to Jesus I need some help How would the Bible describe your life and what you were devoted to? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge of it, the power of it, the truth of it. I pray for us today, God, that you would help us walk in obedience to it. I love you. I pray in Jesus' name.